Okay. So 154, Joshua 5, 1 to 12. So now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Harath Loth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they had left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, they camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. The Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Lord, we thank you for the time we share together. We thank you that we stand as your people. And Lord, we pray that we'd um, grow in our knowledge of your word and we pray that we'd be those who are responding the right way to it. Please help us now to do that, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from time to time, you might have heard songs that just hit the spot, songs that uh, spring to mind in, in nice moments. It might be Annie's song from John Denver. That's a nice song. It might be a song from Nirvana if you're a bit younger. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I think the key verse in that one is, we don't know what we're saying, but... Uh, there's a, a song that we sang at PY camp. It wasn't a Nirvana song. Uh, when I was there with the PY camp, the, the, the music team wanted the kids to go out on a good note. And so they sang a song called Walk by Faith. And so there was the, the song leaders and the, all of the kids getting a bit excited. And they, of course, had the, the adults there, and the, the team leaders are supposed to lead by example. So we've got to get all groovy and uh, kind of jive across the carpet in a line dance formation. It's the only way they do dances with big groups is line dancing. And uh, the kids were all singing, I'll walk by faith, each step by faith, I'll live by faith, I've got my trust in you. And the kids loved that song and it was done to a pretty catchy tune, even if I felt a bit stupid myself trying to bob around with all these kids singing it out. But it was nice to end the camp on that note, so to speak, uh, because we'd spent a bit of time with the kids looking at the promises of God's Word. And we knew that camp was coming to an end and we're all heading back home 
once again to the normal struggles of life. It's a funny feeling, isn't it, when you, you're with friends and having a good time, and then you, you're going back to hard, sometimes cold reality. And so the, the music leaders wanted the kids to remember to continue as God's people, even in their life after camp, to keep walking by faith, each step by faith, with their trust in the Lord Jesus. That's what they wanted to encourage the kids to do. Well, people have been walking by faith for some years now, haven't they? Uh, we've been working through the book of Joshua, and we could see that Joshua and the people of Israel have been walking by faith as they enter into the promised land. And of course, if we fast forward through to our day today, uh, you and I are here today because we're walking by faith as well. Even though this could be a difficult time in your life, uh, where things are complicated, where you might even feel that you're, you're discouraged. At times it can be difficult to walk through this world as God's people, but that's still our calling, is it? To be those who walk by faith. Well, let's just look now at the historical context of the passage uh, that was read out to us earlier on by Catherine. What we see is that Israel has been rescued from their slavery in Egypt. And they're now, as a nation, that was one of the promises made to Abraham that he would have many descendants, they'd be a large nation, and we see that that promise has been fulfilled. They're already a large nation. They've received the law from God, but they've also wandered 40 years in the desert because they missed out on that first opportunity to take the land and enter it because of their disbelief and disobedience. After the death of Moses, they've got a new leader now, and that's Joshua, who's leading his people under God to take possession of the good land that's described as an inheritance. And again, it's one of those promises to Abraham that would be fulfilled. God said to Abraham, I'll give you a, a land to be my people. And the promised land was for each of the tribes to live in and to live at rest from their enemies and to live as the people worshipping God. God was to have his name established there and the tabernacle was going to be replaced by the temple. But at this particular point in the story, Israel's just crossed through the Jordan River. The presence of the Lord led the people as God was above the Ark of the Covenant and miraculously, the Jordan stopped its flow, allowing Israel to walk by faith and start taking possession of the land. And we're told, if you're reading on there, in uh, chapter 4, verse 24 of Exodus, uh, sorry, of Joshua, we're told the reason why this miracle happened. In Joshua 4:24, it says, "So that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful." And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. <clears throat> and that turns out to be the reaction of the nations, doesn't it? In um, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when all the Amorite and the Canaanite kings heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before Israel crossed over, they had a reaction to that news. And we're told that their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Well, that must have been a very pleasant surprise uh, for the Israelites too. Especially since Joshua had been told in chapter 1 verse 9, be strong and courageous 
Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's some encouraging words from God there to Joshua. Because his temptation would have been to have been frightened. His temptation would have been, like even soldiers today, to be terrified as they're getting ready to go and face many battles. How would you feel if you were Joshua, risking the soldiers' lives, risking your own life, risking women and children's lives as you were about to head into a land and face many battles? The temptation would have been to have been frightened. But the good news was, even as the people moved forwards in faith over the Jordan River, is that the flip side of that happens. The enemies are the ones who are terrified. They're the ones who get discouraged and frightened. Well, it's a pleasant surprise, but is it really a surprise? And the reason why I raise that is because it had already been prophesied, prophesied a while back that this kind of thing would happen when God took his people and delivered them into the good land. So if you're reading there and you're doing a bit of Bible flipping, uh, I'm going to turn and read Exodus chapter 15 now, beginning at verse 13. So I'll read out from Exodus chapter 15, starting at 13 if you want to read on, otherwise you can just listen to me. This was the song of Moses and Miriam just after they'd passed through the Red Sea. And they were told what the response of the nations would be to Israel as they came into the promised land. This is what God says in verse 13 of chapter 15 of Exodus. In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. And so what we see is that even though Joshua's and the people are tempted to be frightened, it's actually the nations who hear and tremble. They hear about what God has done. They hear about the miracle of the, the Jordan drying up. And we see that those people are the ones who uh, melt away. So in Joshua chapter 5, it's quite a, a buoyant note, it's a positive note, the tone of this passage, because Joshua and the people are seeing that the promises of God are actually being fulfilled. And they're, in, they're encouraged to keep trusting God, to give them rest, ultimately from their enemies as they live in the land and worship the Lord their God. Now we're also encouraged by these things because we're encouraged to see that God's fulfilling his promises and we can trust the promises of God as well. As members of the New Covenant, uh, we know that the promised land wasn't an end in itself, but that it actually points to a greater reality as a place where all God's children will enjoy rest and worship God forever in a renewed heaven and earth. And as Christians, as we wait for that renewal time, 
we're also encouraged to trust in the promises of God. And that's what Peter in 2 Peter says to the churches. He says in 2 Peter 3 verse 8, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, knowing, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The point is that the day of the Lord's going to come. God is going to bring the judgment day. He is going to bring the time of his kingdom to bring it in in all its fullness. But we're told that we can, we can know that that promise, even though it looks like it's slow, it will come true. And the challenge now is for people to turn back to God. God's being patient and we've all got an opportunity to participate in that mission uh, to share with people the news that salvation comes through Jesus and there's still time, if you like, uh, to get right with God before the end. Well, the nations hear about Israel and they get anxious and the writer now turns to give us a new picture of, an, of a new era that's dawning. And we see that this is um, fairly earthy stuff, really. It's uh, Joshua is told to circumcise the Israelites with flint knives in verses 2 through to 9. The sign of the covenant between God and his people was circumcision. Now, in the past, Abraham was told that he was promised that he would have many descendants through his wife, Sarah. As many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand on the seashores, lots of descendants. But after time had passed, uh, quite some time, Abraham decides to take matters into his own hands and have a child, not through Sarah, but through Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. And it's interesting to note the sequence of events in Genesis because it was after that incident where Abraham takes matters into his own hand, that God gives him the sign of circumcision for him and his male descendants. This is what we read in Genesis 17, verse 11. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Any uncircumcised male will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So circumcision is the sign of uh, membership within the people of God. That's the sign of God's covenant, that he's their God and they are his people. So the next question is, why that sign? Why did God choose to give the sign of circumcision as the sign of membership within his covenant people? Well, we're not told in the text precisely. But it's interesting, it's after Abraham tries to bring about the promise that he will have many descendants, not through Sarah, but through Hagar, that God gives this sign. Abraham's trying to bring about the promise in his own strength and not trust in the promise of God. And so some commentators have said that Abraham is cut back in the place of his pride. And there may be something of a warning from God to Abraham in this kind of sign. Saying that the right way forward is not to trust in yourself and your own strength to bring about the promises of God, but to trust in the Lord. Either way, uh, that's just the sign that God chose to give to his people. Which brings us really to uh, verses 2 and 3 
in Joshua chapter 5. Now, I've titled that in your outline there, The Flintstones. Uh, the Flintstones meet the Flintstones, but this is probably without much yabba-dabba-do, uh, because these Flintstones are going to be applied pretty carefully, and uh, we're told that Joshua is commanded to carry out this process. Um, but there is an explanation offered in chapter 5, verses 4 to 9. The argument runs in verse 5 that the people who had, um, the people of Israel who had their wilderness wanderings in the desert for 40 years hadn't been circumcised. Now we're not told why, but it seems that that group is characterised by unfaithfulness and maybe the, the parents of that generation were flippant and they, they didn't carry out the right and identify as the people of God. We're just not told. But the, the writer reminds us Again, that although those people were disobedient, the news here is that that generation has gone and a new generation has arisen. In verse 7, these are the ones whom Joshua was to circumcise. In sum, Joshua gives a sign of God's covenant to this new generation. And there's a sense of uh, fidelity of the people to God as they're willing to take on that sign, which signifies that they are God's people and God is their God. And so it's also a picture, in a sense, that Israel's finally landed as well. They've been waiting for some time now to be a nation, to be delivered into this land, and here's a, a covenant commitment uh, from the people to show that they are his. And it's a much better response to God's grace than the previous generation. In verse 6, we're told they hadn't obeyed the Lord. Now, as we think about their response to God's grace, it's also good for us at this time of salvation history to think about our response to God's grace. We're not about to wage war against physical enemies and take hold of land in the Middle East, yet we're still called to faithfulness to God and not to rebellion. We've become the people of God by trusting in Jesus. He's the one who died and rose again for our sin and our rebellion. He's the one who brings us forgiveness of sins, and he's the one who makes us members of the people of God. We've received a different kind of salvation to what they're receiving. They received a salvation of exodus out of Egypt and deliverance into the promised land, they've received forgiveness of sins that came through the sacrificial system, <clears throat> but we're told that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats ultimately to take away sin, and so the salvation that Jesus brings is complete. Now, we're still, learn we're still challenged to learn about the right response to God. We saw that the people in the desert died there because they, they were disobedient and unfaithful. And we've got to think about what our response to God's going to be as well. And so Paul uses this part of the Bible to encourage us. If you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is what he says about this part of God's Word. There's, it's really... Um, two groups that we can see from Joshua. There'd been the group of the generation before who were 40 years in the desert and were rebellious. And there's the group that's 
taking hold of the land now and responding in faithfulness to God. Paul wants us to learn from those people who were disobedient. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 12, this is what he says. He says, those things are actually for us. We can benefit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The generation that died in the desert offered us what might be called negative modelling. They learnt the hard way and we should be learning from them. The new generation about to enter the land shows us something of uh, a willingness to respond to God in faithfulness, ready to do his will. They're responding the right way to his grace. And so we start to see at this part of Joshua a new stage in the life of the people of God. The end of one era has passed, and we're now at the beginning of a new era. We see that also in chapter 5, verse 10, where they celebrate a Passover meal. They're remembering their exodus out of slavery and their deliverance into the good land. At this point, we could really see that Israel's... You know, they talk about the eagle has landed. Well, okay, <laughs> we're told that God carried his people on eagles' wings, but Israel's landed. And we see characteristic of that the ceasing or the stopping of the, the manna and the quail, which they'd had in that 40 years. I'll pick it up in verse 12 of chapter 5 of Joshua. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So they finally um, finished up with manna and quail. They're probably relieved about that. Uh, but this is not a problem because they've been waiting for a long time and there's a tone of satisfaction and fulfilment uh, that they're about to eat the produce of the land. Let me just read you a little bit about the, what the land's like. It's a very exciting time. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're told, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, 
a land with brooks, streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you'll lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Again in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 11, But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. And so the produce of the land is described in very glorious terms. And at this stage in Joshua, things are looking hopeful and the people are responding the right way to God's grace in faithfulness. But we know at this stage of salvation history, as we look back, uh, this, this foreshadows something that's even greater. I mean, it's, it's cast in Eden-like terms. It's a wonderful place for God's people to live. But it still foreshadows a greater reality. And the writer to the Hebrews reminds us of that greater reality. It's going to be improved on. He says in chapter 4, verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. He's talking about the fact that God's rested from all his works of creation and we're invited into that rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their own works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Well, the people of Israel are at a good time. They're looking forward to enjoying living in God's good, good land, having rest from their enemies around them ultimately and having God at the centre, worshipping him and living according to his law. Ultimately, that proves elusive. Uh, the enemies, to some extent, get put out, but the, it's never really completed. And it really does foreshadow that there is a, a heavenly rest. And that's what the writer encourages us to remember, that we've also got a, an opportunity to enter God's rest at the end, his kingdom at the end. But the challenge for us is to recognise God's grace to us in Christ, to hold on to faith in Jesus our Lord and Saviour and not to fall short of that rest. We're, we've got to do as he says in verse 11, let, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We shouldn't be like those who fell in the desert. So let us walk by faith one step at a time. In Joshua chapter 5, we see something of a new era for the people of God. They were responding in faithfulness to God. They showed a different kind of attitude to the former generation. They were walking by faith even when they were confronted with difficult situations where they were terrified about the many battles ahead of them. Well, we might not be facing the same kinds of battles, that's for sure. We're not called to wage in holy war, but we are still called to struggle on in this world, which is sometimes against the people of God. We're called to struggle on as God's people and to live by faith in this age until we enter God's kingdom at the end. 
I suppose the good news for us, though, is we know what the end game's going to play out like. Uh, in a game of chess, it's, it's interesting, when grandmasters are playing chess, some of them are so good that they know that at a certain point in the game, it will end in a draw. Or it'll end in, in their victory, they can see it, because they've, they've even played it out before at home on a computer. They know what the end game's going to be. There's a sense in which we know what the end, end game's going to be as well. We know that God's going to have the victory, that he's going to fulfil his promises and deliver us into his kingdom. And because we know that, that helps us, it calms us down. We think even though there's, a, there's difficult times now, even though there's complexities, we can still persevere as his people. We know that that's our destiny. Well, this is what the uh, writer to the Hebrews says about how we should continue. He says, we should continue in faith like, like the ancients before us. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of we don't what we don't yet see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So even now, let us continue as God's people to walk by faith and maintain our faith in our Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for this example that we can see before us in your word of of two groups, those who um, fell in the desert through disobedience and, Lord, um, an example of some people who were walking by faith and trusting in you. We thank you for your grace to them to, to deliver them according to your goodness. And, Lord, as we project forward and we, we think about your grace to us, we, we thank you that we don't have an imperfect sacrificial system, but we have... Jesus, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as the one who brings us forgiveness of sins and life with you. Lord, we um, pray that as now we live uh, by faith, we're, we're certain of what we don't yet see, and Lord, we just pray that you'd help us continue as your people. We, Lord, pray that you'd help us not be too anxious about all the struggles that we face in life, because... We can see that you're in control and you will fulfil your promises. But we do pray for your kingdom to come. But we, um, we thank you for your grace in this time now, that you help us to persevere uh, with our trust in Jesus together. And we also pray for our responsibility to be engaged in your mission in the world, to share the news of salvation uh, with other people as well. Lord, we thank you that you're patient and you allow time for people to repent. And Lord, we pray that you'd continue to change hearts of people that we know and we'd like to see right with you too. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us now. We thank you for this time that you strengthen us and we pray that you'd help us to hold on to our faith in Jesus right to the end. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.